This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Making mistakes in their life might cause us to internalize shame, guilt, and regret. Striving for perfection leads us to reach towards unattainable goals and feeling like a failure when we don't reach them. Experiencing our emotions intensely and being reactive might result in living in shame, guilt, and regret for experiencing things on a more emotional level than others. What if what we need is radical acceptance of who we are, while also holding space for growth to be better. Being a better version versus the best version is more realistic. It is more achievable. It is more nurturing. It allows for mistakes, growth, healing, and it allows us to reconnect with the person we want to become and find again. Valeria interviews Carissa Alt-Frankard. She is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Wisconsin. She has been working in the mental health field in various capacities for over 15 years. Her experience ranges from in-home ABA therapy for children diagnosed with ASD, social skills groups for young kids and teens, case management for the chronically homeless population, and as a psychotherapist for an outpatient mental health clinic. Carissa developed Be Your Better Self, LLC, after using it as a personal mantra for growth in her own life. She feels the word best promotes perfection in terms of growth, which is unattainable. She believes working towards a better version of ourselves allows for mistakes, vulnerability, and growth all at the same time. When she is not putting on her therapist hat, Carissa is busy being a mom to Eaton and Daxton and spending time with her husband, Tyler. In her free time, she enjoys working out, going for walks and hikes, reading, shopping, and watching mindless things on TV. Meet Carissa at BeYourBetterSelfLLC.com. Here's the interview with Carissa Alt-Frankard. In your own words, who is Carissa Alt-Frankard? Yeah, so um, I'm definitely somebody who wears a lot of hats. Um, I think first and most important, I'm a mom to my two boys, Easton and Daxton. Um, I'm a wife to my husband, Tyler, a daughter, a sister, a friend, um, a mental health therapist and business owner. But I, you know, the, all of those are kind of just labels, I think, and part of my identity. And they definitely give me a huge sense of purpose in my life today. But I am just also somebody I continue to evolve and, and grow and learn and change. Um, and I think I'm just living this human experience kind of day to day, just like everybody else. So 
So what is that about being a mother that makes us feel even more, uh, let's say, rich when it comes to the purpose, having purpose and meaning in, in this experience, Carissa? Yeah, you know, I, to be honest, I didn't know if motherhood was something that I wanted in my life, actually, for a long time. Um, but since having my kids, I think it just, I don't know, there's like this switch that just kind of flips. And I feel like everything that I do now is for them and because of them. And I think I've just grown so much and changed so much too since having them in a, definitely a positive way, in a way that I don't, I think without having kids, I, I think I would have gotten there still. Um, but they pushed me to kind of do it sooner. So, right. Yeah. I have heard that's the, the greatest love of all. I know it's a song and it might sound yeah. like a cliche, but yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Is the, if there's a, kind of love that we experience that's the deepest it would be the love of a mother for their children yeah it's just unconditional just immediately so you would love them no matter what right Carissa yes regardless yes absolutely Ah, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful I wonder if we Mm -hmm. can if we can do that without biologically having children do you think that um, the rest of us human beings who chose not to have children or cannot have children, can we still experience unconditional love? Is that something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe that. Absolutely. You know, I think I think it's just getting to that place of loving somebody, like you just said, no matter what, you know, no matter what the circumstances and experiences are. And I think we can definitely have that without kids. Uh, I believe that, too. It's something that I the experience that I really wish to have and I think I am having in, in at mm-hmm. this time with my husband and my dog. Yeah. It's um yeah. amazing, amazing how we sometimes feel like we are not capable of doing certain things, but it takes um relationships. That's what it this life to me it, it's really all about too, in the sense of growing and evolving. It seems like mm-hmm. we need one another to get yeah, there. Connectedness. Uh-huh. Connection and connectedness is so important, I think. And speaking of connection, and that's the work you do as a therapist, um, how did you choose or how did therapy choose you? <laughs> how did you become yeah. a therapist? <laughs> yeah, well, so I, you know what, honestly, I actually wanted to be a teacher for most of my um, childhood. It's what I had thought was kind of in the cards for me. And um, I think like most therapists or people who are in more of like a healing profession, we experience our own mental health or our own traumas. And there's this shift. And that was definitely my experience too. And I remember taking an intro to psychology class my senior year of high school. And that just sort of set everything, set my path for me. I just... I love that class and I love learning about the brain and how it works. And it was so fascinating to me. So yeah, that really, I think my own personal experience and then taking that course, it just solidified that that was my new direction and path that I needed to go. So you felt like a calling, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I see here often. I hear from so many of us, for myself mm-hmm. and others that I interview. Another question that I usually ask um, to therapists, especially, is that mental health. What? How do you define mental health these days? Yeah. So I, I feel like mental health really embodies 
the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies um, of all of us. And, you know, I, I think at any point in our life, there can be times where we're off balance or we're not in alignment with one of those bodies. And when we're not, then we start to experience this spectrum of different symptoms. And it can be, you know, really mild, minimal, very, you know, um, just small symptoms to very, very large, significant chronic symptoms and anywhere in between. And so really looking at mental health, it's trying to work towards um, kind of reflecting where are, where is this you know, this misalignment or this unbalance and how do we make decisions every single day to work towards that balance and work towards that alignment? Because when one of those areas is off, then I think everything is off. So it's really all the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies coming together and having this alignment and balance. Is that possible to, because I have experienced that, I mean, it's possible mm -hmm. for me, but I know it's not a, an experience for everyone, that my body's not feeling well, mm -hmm. but because I have been mm -hmm. engaging so many practices, uh, spiritual practices like meditation and in contact with so many amazing people like yourself, then mm -hmm. it's easy for me to just not to ignore uh, physical pain or any uh, imbalance in the body, but it's easy for me to kind of accept what is happening to the body in a peaceful mm -hmm. way and kind of carry on to do what I have to do to uh, bring the balance back. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't affect my mental health in a way when I'm not physically well. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that makes sense too. I think acceptance, you're hitting on another big component, I think for, for me and working with my clients is that idea of acceptance because it, we've, we work really hard, I think, every single day to fight what is actually going on, whether it's, again, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, you know, and when we do that, there's this internal conflict that we experience. And when you can actually get to a place of accepting what is happening, that just lets go of so much stress and you can find that balance and alignment. So I definitely don't think that there needs to be this perfect balance or perfect alignment by any means. Everybody is so individual and unique with what that needs to look like for them. Um, but acceptance is a huge piece of this. How do you describe the spiritual body, Carissa? You know, that's something I feel like a little bit that I, um, that's kind of my journey where I'm still kind of trying to explore a little bit. Yeah. I, I think really the spiritual body though, it comes to connecting with that inner voice for yourself, you know, really getting at the core of who you are and what you believe in and what you value and trying to, again, make those decisions that align with that, um, I think the spiritual body, I, I'm definitely not, um, I'm not very religious, but I'm trying to find my connection to a higher power and a higher spirit. That's something I think I'm still searching for a little bit. Um, but I, but even if you don't have something like that, I think you can find it inside, you know, and find mm. it in your core and your inner voice. So another question I had here was about healing, but 
since you answered that question about mental <laughs> health, I guess it's the yeah. same. It goes back to balance. The question was about the goal of healing. Would you answer yeah. the same way, Carissa? Balance? I th I think so. It's it's well, kind of. I, I think it's a uh, both balance and that alignment, but also the acceptance piece that we talked about before. I think that gets to a. Um, it, it just helps us move towards that place of healing. Definitely. So, so I think it's kind of both of those things. Another question that I've read in one of the topics we'll be covering today is self-care. So mm -hmm. I have an open question for you about self-care and self-love. Are they one mm -hmm. and the same from your perspective? You know, I, I think so. To me, they are because I think that self-care is kind of the practice of self-love, I guess. You know, it's kind of putting, it's putting that love that you have for yourself into action and creating habits and routines around taking care of yourself and your needs every single day. So I guess they're a little bit different, but they're kind of enmeshed as well. The purpose of the human experience, what do you feel mm -hmm. that is? If we have one purpose here, what would that be? I think it's connection. Um, and connection to ourselves and connection to other people, our experiences, our environment. Um, yeah, I think it just, it really just boils down to connection. Yeah, that's another beautiful insight and beautiful answer <laughs> I often hear because it is true. And I wonder if that, uh, the sense of connection comes from empathy. Would you say that empathy mm -hmm. is a big part of it, uh, Carissa? Yeah, absolutely. When we, when we're able to have empathy towards other people and their experiences without judgment and without shaming them and, and just removing that, we can, we can really, that's how we can connect with people. I mean, it's, it's just, it's showing up and being there to listen and support and understand their experiences from their perspective without that judgment piece. And gosh, if we could do that, I think there'd be so much more connection in the world. That's true. That means everybody would become a therapist. <laughs> yeah, somebody like you. Probably, yeah. Uh, right? I mean, that's uh -huh. what comes to mind. No judgment, yeah. holding space for others with empathy. <laughs> that's your work. <laughs> It is, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate what you do. It's We do need more therapists <laughs> in the world. Yes, we, we do. But thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. And it would be even better if we all could become our own therapists. Yeah. I mean, you guiding others to find the healing methods and practice them. But in the end, we are the ones that are healing ourselves because, yep. right, we are our own yeah. healers in the end. Yeah, I think that actually is a big misconception of therapy, honestly, is that when people kind of walk through the door There's this expectation that I'm going to have all the answers and I'm going to give you all the advice and I'm going to fix whatever it is that you're experiencing. And I can, you know, listen and walk, walk with you through this journey of exploration and trying to figure it out. But the answers usually lie within the person, you know, they're, they're within themselves. And just through talking and processing and exploring, you uncover that truth for yourself. That's it is one of the biggest misconceptions. I agree. Yeah, uh, I remember having that misconception myself. I was not doing therapy, but I was a spiritual seeker, so I always looking mm -hmm. for teachers that would save me or would give me all the answers, right? Like mm -hmm. do the work for me, and that never happened. Yeah. 
So in the end, you, we have to do the work and be open to it. And I we love, do. Yeah, I love curiosity. I think that opens the door a lot for, for healing. Just yeah. become curious and do it anyway, like a session or two, uh, a therapy session or, or whatever it is. In my case, doing spiritual, let's say, studies. And then I ended mm-hmm. up finding my own answers. And it's sad that most people don't don't know that. I see around me a lot of my family mm-hmm. members, and um, and we wanted to kind of guide them and, and almost give them the answers. But then I always stop myself. That doesn't really. Mm-hmm. They gotta find it for themselves. And most of us are not ready, right, Carissa? To, right, right yeah. for the, those answers within. Yeah. Well, it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable and to open up you know, yourself to really yourself is what it, what it comes down to. That's a very scary process. And for most, they just want to keep that door closed. It's a sad thing. Do you have a healing story yourself? Did you have to heal something in order to be the person that you are today? Uh, you know, I, I definitely have had my own experiences for sure. And I think that I, I've been sort of blessed, I think, as being a therapist to kind of help myself along this journey. But I've also, I've worked with therapists myself. I think most therapists would tell you that they've, they've worked with somebody to kind of work towards healing, you know, their own story and their own journey. So, so yes, I'm again, no, no different than anybody else out there. I've, I've had to do the work too, which is also, I think, of value because it's my way of connecting even deeper with my clients because I can understand even if our, you know, situations, experiences, circumstances are different, I can still understand what hurt and pain and sadness really feel like. Um, and I think that just, it helps build that trust in the therapeutic relationship. Right. That's true. I was reflecting about this yesterday, just walking from, I think we came from the park, my husband and I, and I was thinking mm-hmm. about why do we have to to know the opposite, like sadness, in order to appreciate happiness? Is that something that's really almost like an inevitable part of this human experience? I sort of think so, because I think that allows for growth. You know, it allows for a higher understanding of you and your world and your experiences and everything around you. So I, I don't think... <sighs> You know, I think growth can happen without the hurt, but I think many of us experience the hurt and the pain in order to grow from it. Why do we suffer, Carissa? What are, what are the main causes for human suffering? I think it's not acknowledging um, the suffering and where it's coming from. I think I think kind of goes back to with the people that aren't ready to go through that healing process. You know, we we stuff our experiences and emotions down and we bury them so deep. Um, and the suffering, it's got to come out. And so it comes out, you know, in emotional explosions towards other people or it manifests physically in our bodies and we get a lot of, you know, pains or aches or sickness. And so it's, I think suffering really is not even acknowledging that there's healing that needs to be done. So it is pushing away, trying to escape pain, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, uh, yes. avoidance. Yeah, I see that mm-hmm. a lot. And then we have all these other numbing, uh, let's say, methods. Mm-hmm. I see how I don't watch TV or mainstream TV or newspaper, none of that, kind of out of that reality. But I do hear that there's a lot of addiction issues yes. happening everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. Yes, mm-hmm. of various types. 
Right. Would you say that that's uh, one of the main reasons, again, why the, the cause for this epidemic of addiction, the people being addicted to all kinds, sorts of things? Mm-hmm. Or, it's avoidance. Yeah, yeah. avoidance. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Avoidance and, and not acknowledging the suffering and the healing that needs to happen. It's, I think for a lot of people, it's easier to, you know, get immersed in, you know, TV or their phones or alcohol or whatever it is. And rather than actually sitting with their emotions, because that's vulnerable, it's open and it's honest and it's so scary. Um, so that, that tends to be the easier way out for people, but it's really not an out. You, you will just continue to suffer and you won't move towards that place of healing and growth that would be so beneficial for you. It goes back to the, um, the concept of being ready. So most of, yeah. Some of us are not ready to look deeper within. Do you see feelings and emotions being the same thing? Would you define them the same way or are they different? Hmm. You know, I, I think I kind of use them interchangeably. So when I describe things, so I, my gut tells me, yes, <laughs> that I do feel like they're the same thing. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it, them being too different because I use them so much interchangeably. Yeah. So they are the same thing from, from yeah, your perspective. Yeah, I think so. I hear different answers. I always ask that question. I'm curious too, to know. <laughs> like uh-huh. feelings, emotions, yeah. are they the same? Some people say they're different. They describe it differently. But in the end, it's all about the expression of that, right? Feelings own emotions. And then when you talk about avoidance, does it have to do with relationships again? Like that failing to connect deeper with people around us. And that's why we kind of avoid to uncover those feelings that's true to us because we are afraid to be judged by others. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if that's something that's actually happening. Why are we so afraid to express our feelings and emotions? A lot of us have had that experience of being shamed for it and judged for it, you know, um, whether it's from a friend or a teacher or a parent or a sibling or a grandparent, you know, we've, we've shown our vulnerability. We've shown our emotions, we've expressed them and we get shamed and judged for it. So that's, I think, people's first kind of learning experience where that is something I can't do. I can't, they learn to not then show their emotions and express their feelings. And because if they do, they can expect that they will be shamed or judged for it. And so that leads then to that avoidance. And I think avoidance, it's, it's with the connection, you know, it's, it's not, not just connecting with other people and the avoidance kind of leads to that, but it's also you're avoiding and not connecting with yourself. So what is um, a suggestion, a method that you use to, teach your clients to reconnect, to, to connect with themselves? What is the first thing? Yeah. I'll journaling. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think journaling is, is also the safer way for people to express it. They don't, I always put, you know, I kind of put this out there for my clients that it's nothing that they have to necessarily bring in here and expose themselves to me in that way, but just get get yourself exposed to you, you know, kind of look at what is going on inside, what is physically going on for you? What are you, uh, you know, emotionally, again, like mentally, physically, all of that, what are you experiencing right now in this moment, and just get reconnected to you. And I think through writing and journaling, that's really the first step that 
feels safest for people to explore that reconnection with themselves. So talk to me about, you're the founder of Be Your Better Self. So talk yes. to me about, I know it's the name of your company, but it's also a method, a healing method. I, you know, I, um, I actually stumbled across this phrase. Oh, gosh, I was, I was trying to think about when I last, when I did actually stumble across it. And I want to say it was probably about 10 years ago. And I, I kind of used it as a guidance in my own life to really just get back to making decisions that align with the person that I want to show up to be every day for myself and for other people and to kind of learn from the mistakes and not not coming from a place of shame but just learning that these are these are mistakes and that's okay kind of having that compassion for myself and then making decisions to do better the next day and because this has been a guidance in my life. It, it's sort of funny when I was thinking about um, starting my practice, I came up with 10 or 15 names. I think mm -hmm. I was thinking too hard with it yeah. and, and trying to be super creative. And, yeah. you know, and I was sitting in bed with my husband one night and I looked at him and I was like, what about be your better self? That's been my guidance. I, you know, for 10 years now, and it's helped me so much day to day, month to month, year to year to just make those changes for myself. It just made sense to offer this as guidance for my clients in my practice. Right. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. The moment I saw it, especially mm -hmm. the way you describe your own journey and then comparing the better self with the best self that we hear a lot, yeah. right? Being the best version of yourself. It really sounds like it's It's putting a lot of pressure, <laughs> being the best version. Uh, it sounds mm -hmm. good, but we cannot see life as a best experience. I think it is a wonderful yeah. experience, but I don't know about being the best experience or having the best experience all the time. That's not yeah. possible. I think I agree with you that best, it just, it promotes this idea of perfection. And with perfection, that's unrealistic and unattainable goals that you're, most of us are setting ourselves up to fail then. And we shouldn't look at it as failing. I think, you know, being compassionate towards yourself because you made a mistake and learning and growing from that and making the decision to do better, you know, it just allows for that vulnerability and then openness and honesty to make mistakes and be okay and be compassionate with yourself and just do it differently the next day. So that's really what better means to me in, in, instead of best, because you do hear best, you know, live your best life and be your best self and all of that. And if that speaks to people, that doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, you know, it never, I never thought of that way. But then you caught my attention to this uh, concept yeah. of better and best. Right. And also mm -hmm. because... It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Practice, careers, being better yeah. too. It's not a destination. Mm -hmm. Like, no. Yeah, when I hear the best, it sounds like a destination too. Like, oh, wow, I want to be my best, the best version of myself. And then when, it seems like you, you wanted to get somewhere and stay there, which mm -hmm. wouldn't be life then, because life is always changing. We are life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a beautiful, very beautiful message. There's something curious about you with the Be Your Better Self that I, I read, that you have a tattoo, I believe. It's your, your mantra, but you also have I, a tattoo. I do. <laughs> you yeah. do, right? That's so awesome. It's in a place that you can see, you can clearly see every day, or it's hidden. 
Yes, that I can clearly see every day. Yes. Oh, yes, right. That's what <laughs> um, I thought. Yes, yes, it is. Uh huh. You can look at it yeah, and remind yeah. yourself. It's yeah, it's it's um it it again it's just something that's so meaningful for me and I I have notes on this in my phone from years ago when I started, you know, this mantra and yeah, it's on my body. It's it just it just makes again, it just made sense that <laughs> this was my private practice name. Another topic for our conversation today that's staring at me is uh, uh boundaries, communication oh, boundaries. Yes. Uh, that's a tough one. Learning to say no. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, how do we do that has been one of my biggest challenges <laughs> to say no. You're, you're not alone. No. You're not alone. I, boundaries are incredibly difficult. And I think, I think one of the first steps that I work with my clients on is just encouraging them to reflect on when they interact with people or specific environments, um, notice what happens after you leave those people or those environments because we don't pay attention to those patterns. We just, you know, we leave a situation or a, a, a person or persons and we vent or we complain or, you know, we feel exhausted and we're not really sure why. Um, but when you start to notice those patterns, then you can start to notice the people and environments in your life that, that need boundaries and, I think I heard this actually from one of my own therapists um, that when it comes to boundaries, we have this expectation that we need other people to respect our boundaries. But what it comes down to is we actually have to respect them ourselves. We can't expect that, you know, someone is going to know what our boundaries are and we can't expect that they're going to actually respect them. So it is learning how to say no, because then you're always going to be respecting your own boundaries with those people or within that environment. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I love that insight about uh, paying attention to the way we feel after we, mm -hmm. uh, we leave a situation, a meeting or whatever it is that we got ourselves into. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that really resonates true. I remember feeling very exhausted and um I mean, unhappy, really. And I had also mm -hmm. body aches, like uh, my stomach mm -hmm. would hurt. I would have strong headaches, too, after meeting mm -hmm. certain people, specific people. Yes. And I remember no one was, like, listening to me. My husband was saying, oh, he's just being um, too sensitive <laughs> or whatever it is. That's something that I learned to ignore these days because some people, they do say that, oh, you're too sensitive. You shouldn't be. I mean, it's almost like you shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder what to say, what the response would be, because a lot of times I just stay quiet because there's nothing else to say when our feelings are not, are not being recognized by other people. So do you encourage actually young clients to communicate those feelings with somebody in close to them or just with a the therapist? I, I, I think it usually feels safer to share that with themselves or the therapist. I think communicating boundaries is a really difficult thing, which is, again, why I loved what my therapist said and putting it in that perspective that, you know, you have to respect your own boundaries, not expect other people to respect them for you. And when we communicate our own boundaries to somebody else, I think we do kind of expect that, okay, now I've put it out there and they're going to respect this the next time. 
<laughs> but then they don't, you know, and then they don't again and again and again. And we feel so frustrated with that relationship. And so when you flip that and you reframe it, that I actually have to respect my own boundaries here and I need to check in, you know, do I have the physical, mental um, and emotional capacity to go and be with this person or persons today? You know, can I put myself in that environment today? How am I doing right now? And can I handle this? And if the answer is no, then you got to start communicating no and being assertive in that communication. I think the other part of this is when we say no, a lot of times we end up feeling like we have to follow up with a reason or an excuse as to why we're saying no. And that's another part of the boundaries that learning to respect that because you don't have to have a reason. No is no. And that should just be enough. I guess if I can communicate clearly with you here today, my boundary practices and trying to connect deep with people. How do we balance that, Carissa? Setting boundaries and connecting deeper or searching for that? Yeah, well, I guess I kind of follow that up with the question of for for my clients, it would be, you know, do you really want to deeply connect with the people who you feel like are violating your boundaries? And I think a lot of us, you know, when you think about it, would probably say no, you know, and and not and in the sense that, you know, you wish that maybe that relationship would be different. I think, you know, a lot of my clients, the boundaries that they have to set are within the family. And that's really, really hard. Um, I think it's much more difficult to set those boundaries within a family versus within, you know, colleagues or with friends. And um so you want deep down, we want to connect with our family. We want to connect with our work environment. We want to connect with our friends. But if we're feeling disrespected and we're feeling violated and, and you know, day in and day out with these people, how deep can that connection actually be? Because you can't really be your authentic self either. You know, you can't bring, you can't trust the persons or the environment and to be authentic with them and to be vulnerable because you've been shamed for that. You've been judged and dismissed for that. So I, I think I'd, re- I'd offer that sort of like reflection question, I think, to people. That really resonates. Yeah, right. Do, do I really need, want to connect with them deeply? And yeah. the heart says yes, but then... Right. Yeah, that's interesting because I have been exposed to a lot of um, these ideas about the heart too, that doesn't always know in a sense of it's boundless. It's always, it's limitless when it comes to love. Mm-hmm. And that might come from trauma too, because I remember having a very traumatic childhood and connecting was not really possible because my parents were abusive. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't connect with them, but then I kept trying as a child to correct them. Yeah. And then I, I did that my whole life with everybody mm-hmm. I met, especially romantically. Mm-hmm. I was trying to mm-hmm. make them love me or see some, I mean, we'll do anything for love. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. now it doesn't, I mean, it's just not true anymore. Mm-hmm. I learned not to trust the heart. And that was kind of really sad. I I went through a grief period, not trusting yeah. myself, my intuition. Yeah. I think that is a really it's a it's a sad and hard experience for people to and realization I think that people sometimes have to come to, like you just described, is is recognizing that, you know, you can acknowledge what's in your heart, but that you can't necessarily lean into it because of what you're experiencing and how it's affecting you. And then breaking those patterns, um, it's hard. 
I know you have on your website, you, you talk about the five, you write about the five self-care practices, the top five. And mm -hmm. then you mentioned yeah. journaling and then uh, expressing mm -hmm. gratitude, the to-do list, um, setting mm -hmm. small goals. And then you mentioned movement mm -hmm. and stillness. I love that you had those two there. They seem to contradict one they, another. They but are. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, what you meant by it. Talk to me for a moment about that movement and stillness. Yeah, I think, well, you know, they, they sort of offer the opposite, um, for our experience. You know, movement, it's, it's so beneficial. It, it helps our brain just function optimally and it, you know, releases those good and, you know, endorphins and hormones that we want to feel to feel happy and motivated. And movement doesn't have to be. You know, I, I have clients of all different walks of life. So movement doesn't have to be going for, you know, this long distance run or picking up these heavy weights. You know, it can be a lot. There's so many different types of movement out there, but it does promote this feeling of just feeling good and feeling happy and um, energy. You know, you feel this energy after you do that. And then the stillness, we are on autopilot all the time. I think we just, so many of us just move through the day without being present and without really stopping to notice what's going on around us or within us. And so by taking the time to just be still and just be quiet and whether that's through, you know, a meditation or a guided meditation practice or some, some grounding, practicing some grounding techniques or even just, you know, sitting and having coffee or tea and looking out the window and just noticing what's going on. It, it, having that moment of still and quiet is so beneficial. So we we absolutely need both. <laughs> Again, that's life, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, both. Yeah. <laughs> Movement, mm -hmm. stillness. When it comes to stillness, do you recommend meditation, mindfulness meditation? I do. And I try to encourage people to explore just different types of meditation to see what they gravitate towards. You know, even in my own practice, I... I do all of these things every day. So I can speak so, so much to how powerful they are because I do them myself. But through my journaling and gratitude and to-do list, I listen to a meditative meditation music. Um, it's not guided and it just helps. I think it helps my mind really focus on what I'm doing. And then I listen to a guided meditation after that, which I absolutely love because that's more of my stillness time and my grounding time. So I do. I really encourage my clients to explore meditation. And some, you know, you get everybody that walks through the door, some where they're absolutely turned off and you need to talk about it several times before they might be open to the idea. And some who have been practicing it every single day. I have to say it's not a lot of people, they believe that it's a really hard thing to do. Most people mm -hmm. say they don't have time for meditation or any kind of stillness, but it's so necessary. And that's just been, I read something about um, how important it is for the brain. Actually, there's something about brain health that is mm -hmm. connected to meditation and stillness, mm -hmm. not just mental health, but the physical brain also operates better, functions better. I think improves everything. Uh, from my experience, it has been incredible. And yeah. you also mentioned something else that caught my attention was under your approach, essential oils. I love them. Mm -hmm. Yes, me too. Yeah, gosh, I have so many. Do you recommend one scent over another? 
or does it really, really matter? No, it really depends on what symptoms my client is experiencing. Um, I would say though, probably the one that I recommend the most is I would, I would say it's probably lavender because so, yeah, so many people, you know, whether, whether their symptoms are coming from a place of depression or they're experiencing, you know, ADHD or, you know, whatever it might be, there's so much stress and lavender is such a calming and soothing essential oil. I have them in my office going for every single session too, um, because I just think it promotes, there's something nice about that aromatherapy. It just, it just feels really nice and, and good and soothing and calming. But I also encourage my clients if, um, if it's, if I'm not making a specific recommendation, I encourage them to explore because I do believe that everybody has they gravitate towards different scents and what might be calming and soothing or necessary for me might not work for the next person. So I really encourage them to just explore. Yeah, lavender. That's interesting that you said that because that's one essential oil that I often don't get and I hesitate every time. (laughs) I always get different ones like frankincense, Mm -hmm. like orange. And I have all kinds of uh, satterwood, I think you pronounce it, oh, not sure. Yeah. That, all mm-hmm. kinds of, but I don't, lavender is one that I, I kind of hesitate and I wonder mm-hmm. why. Maybe because the body doesn't need, I don't know, at that, mm-hmm. yeah, and I never, I never get, I do have it, but I don't use it as often. And it, it's funny you said that, that most people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just speaks to you to how individual this is, you know, right, I mean, for, right. for one person, they're not going to, I have other clients who lavender is just not something that they're, they're, whether it's, you know, they're uncomfortable using, they don't like the scent, you know, whatever it is. But, um, so you're not alone with that. That's, <laughs> I think that's why, yeah. I think that's why encouraging people to just explore. And I have several, um, different, um, different types of oils in my office too. So I, I, I can bring them out with clients mm. and kind of show them different things and different yeah. scents. Um, so they can explore that with me. Yeah. So I a love lot of that. people, if, I, yeah, if they're not, if they're not fun. using them, a lot of people, it's kind of a foreign thing, you know, and they're not really yeah. sure where to start. So right. doing it with somebody that you've built this trust with and you can explore together can be a nice experience. Yes, very nice, beyond nice, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, I, I love that. Uh, connecting in a meaningful way, in a healing way. That's one of the topics for today. You, you talked, we talked briefly earlier, perhaps we have been talking about this the whole time, aligning mm-hmm. with your values to improve feelings of self-worth. Yeah, yeah. So that's the values. That's one of my biggest one. What is your biggest value, Carissa, oh, that drives your car? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I, I think health is probably one of my biggest ones. Honestly, I think, um, it's, it's really where a lot of my decisions come in every single day for myself and for my family. So yeah, I think health is a big one for me. Thank you so much, Carissa, for being you and for sharing your wisdom here in what you do. Thank you. Thank you. We're almost at the end. And before we say goodbye for today, I have a few more questions for you, ending questions. Would you like to add anything else that you left unsaid? I I don't think so. I think we've we've covered a lot of it. I think the only thing is I'm just so incredibly grateful for having this opportunity to speak with you today. And I think 
your your podcast and what you do and this healing journey that I think you're on and you invite everybody else that listens to be on with you is just incredible. So I just want to thank you so much for all of the work that you do. Oh, thank you. The body appreciates mm-hmm. the heart and the mind. They are all in. Yeah. But the body yeah. sometimes complain, what are you doing here? <laughs> Instead of being <laughs> on the beach or somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my biggest values, that connection, connecting mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. That, yeah. uh, oh my God, I would do anything for that. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. have to be careful. But um, in a sense of just doing too much. But I absolutely love, I call these meetings here my sacred moments. And really, oh, they I really are. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Sacred they are. So I have a few more questions for you. I'll ask you this one, Carissa. What do you love most about being in a human body? I think the senses that you get to experience every single day. Um, Cause that's really, I think what our body gives us, you know, that ability to, to touch and smell and taste and see, and you just, you experience the world so differently when you pay attention to that. So I think the, that is definitely a big thing that I value about the physical body. It's interesting how we can take that for granted, right? A lot of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's another practice of mindfulness, just feeling everything, yes. right? Being here, mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I'll ask you this question as, as my final question. If there was one message you wish everyone to take with them from this conversation, what would that be? Hmm. One message. I think, I think the message would be connect. Just take pause and connect with, who you are, reconnect if that's what it is with who you are, because that will allow you to just experience life differently and connect with other people and your environment differently. Um, it'll help you align with who you are and what you want and give you that vision to just, I think, be and do better. Billion times. Yes. to That <laughs> beautiful vision. That we can do that, reconnect with ourselves. That's mm. so true. That's the only mm. reason I believe we are here. Mm-hmm. It keeps coming back to me as a as a powerful guide that we are here mm-hmm. to connect with our own selves and then expand that uh, from that. But the first yeah. our first job is to connect with ourselves. So thank you so much for having that as a as a foundational message for your work too, not just message mm-hmm. because embodying that's very important. So that's what you're doing by mm-hmm. offering your services. You um, embody the message. So I love that, Carissa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye for today again, mm-hmm. what's the best place to find you? Well, so I, I feel like I'm my I'm pretty easy to find um, my website and then um, Facebook and Instagram profiles are all be your better self LLC. And then the website is dot com. So and I think I mean, you can really connect with me on any of those. Right. And I'll have the link of your website on your podcast profile as well. Great. Thank you so much again for your presence here today, Carissa. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. My dear. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Carissa Alt Frankard and her work, please visit beyourbetterselfllc.com.
learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.